Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of Stand Up for the Truth. We appreciate you guys. We're thankful for the remnant. And you guys have been active lately. Um, we've got our fundraiser coming up next week, and we're already like pl- past halfway through our goal, thanks to you sending in your early pledges and donations. So thank you. God bless you. We appreciate you guys for not only praying for this ministry, but believing in our mission and what we do. Um, we're so thankful, so very thankful. So um, before we get to our guest today, um, I do want to mention we gave away some DVDs yesterday, Trump 2024, The World After Trump. A lot of, this is a battle to remain free. Mike Huck, Huckabee's on here, Franklin Graham, Alveda King, Dr. Martin Luther King's niece, Mike Lindell, MyPillow.com, Dennis Prager, um, Brigitte Gabriel, Tony Perkins, Family Research Council, Pastor Don Stewart, um, d- so many more on this DVD. And I've got a bunch of them that I'm going to give you a chance to win at some point in this podcast. But you have to be able to come in the studios. We don't have a big staff, so no, no more can we be shipping out prizes like we used to 10 years ago. You've got to be local or know someone who is that can come in and pick up the prize, the DVD. Okay, so we'll do that later on. Father, thank you for giving us a chance to really challenge people about their worldview. Help us to always be biblical. Help us to always seek the truth, speak the truth, proclaim the truth, defend the truth, and help us to always point to and elevate Jesus Christ as Lord, because Jesus, you are the truth, and we thank you that there is no confusion or ambiguity in Scripture about who you are and what you taught in your word. Um, People might say that, but uh, they don't know the Bible then. Father, thank you that we have that exclusivity, that we stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, by your blood, Lord. Thank you for that sacrifice, and thank you for the hope that we have that will never perish, fade away, or spoil. That hope is an anchor to our soul. And during these times when there's so many things shaking us in our communities, in our country, in our world, in our culture. We know and trust in an unshakable God. So thank you for the foundation we have. We lift up this time to you. We thank you again for giving us freedom in this country. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Um, the, I'm, part of me uh, doesn't even know where to go today because there's so much to talk about, but we do have a roadmap. Holy Spirit, lead us. Uh, Let me introduce our guest today. He's back with us again in studio, Pastor Eric Jackson. He's a pastor and author of a brand new book called Feral Christian. I've read most of it, and um, I really like it. It's an easy read. He's filled a variety of ministry positions. He's passionate about self-evaluation in Christianity, which I believe we need much more of. Doesn't the Bible say somewhere, examine yourself? Yes. He was ordained through Assemblies of God, trained in biblical studies, graduated from UWGB, and has extensive ministry experience in a variety of settings and denominations. Now, currently, he's the lead pastor of Foundation Church in Manaqua, Wisconsin. Nailed it. Yep. Yep. I can picture uh, President Trump saying, Manaqua. <laughs> can you picture that? Can you hear it? Manaqua. He likes to emphasize that. Anyway, so today we're going to talk about how the role of the pastor has changed in the church in America, how the church, particularly the evangelical church, has changed, and how politics has almost become a four-letter word in churches, and the fact that historically it hasn't always been that way. So, Eric, uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. This Uh, is always so much fun. It's a blessing to have you, and we had such a spirited, passionate conversation last time. That's what I liked about you. Just tell it like it is, and uh, we'll be fine. Uh, We don't have to agree on everything. We said that before we got on the air. But there's a lot of things we're going to get to today because, well, America, as we talked about, uh, it's a very unique country. We have a very unique 
system. Now, I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about the political system. I'm talking about the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. What other country has an exceptional founding like we do with, by Christians for the most part? So let me read this, friends, and you're going to understand where we're going to go today. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says this. Now, if you're older than 45, you're going to remember this old song by the birds. To everything turn. I can't believe I just sang on the air. I think that's a first. <laughs> I think that's a first. It must be Friday. So to everything, there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant, a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to throw away a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time to, of war and a time of peace. What profit has the worker from that, which, that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. I love verse 11 there. He has made everything beautiful in his time, and Eric, uh, he has put eternity in their hearts. The gospel is the heart of man needing to be reconciled with our Creator and our Savior, our God, and we are to be about the ministry of reconciliation. Just your thoughts on that, and then we'll go backwards in what we just read in Ecclesiastes 3. And we are going to get to your book, but I wanted to start off with this because we're going somewhere today. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think, I mean, I could spend, you know, as a pastor, you're always thinking like, oh, man, I could, I could preach for six months. You're always <laughs> thinking in terms of sermons. How many yep. sermons uh, would, I, would I break this into? And this is such a beautiful uh, piece of Scripture because mm. what it does is it, it forces us to realize that God is always bigger than we think he is and that he is much more unique. He's much more creative. Um, I just had this epiphany. I've been out in the woods a lot, and, and the woods are really interesting because you, you look at, at trees, and from a distance they all look very similar. They look uniform, and we tend to think of God as, as someone who makes things uniform. But as you get up close, you realize every leaf, every branch, there is such creativity and, and beauty, and things are constantly changing. And that's not um, just happenstance. That mm -hmm. is how God designed the world to work, is constantly changing. Um, things are, are unique and beautiful. And, and so for us as humans, we always tend to want things to be uniform. In fact, that's one of the things you can know something is man-made if it's uniform because nature doesn't make things mm. like that. But we always want to put God in the box of, this is how it was, this is what used to work, so we're going to keep doing it where the Bible is so clear. God's like, I'm doing a new thing, so you can either behold it or you can miss it. It's up to you. And so I love this scripture is because it forces us to, to say, well, maybe God isn't this God who has a formula that he just keeps working over and over. We're going to talk a lot more about that as it pertains to the church, uh, particularly in America. But I love the fact that he has put eternity in our hearts, in the hearts of man. He puts a void in every human heart, and that void can only be filled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how we can have him and that hope that we have because we, we have Christ in our lives. I, I, I can't relate to so many people who have heard the gospel and say, eh, no, it's not for me. I mean, I know I've been a believer for a lot longer than, you know, uh, some, but it's hard to go back and go, wow, I can't imagine my life without hope. And here we are in COVID season. And I thought about, by the way, that verse, uh, uh, a, COVID, a COVID sermon, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Yes. <laughs> See? See, and there we go. Pastors think that way. There way. are times that it's just better to do a wave from a distance. Instead it's of a biblical. holy kiss. Yes. No holy kissing during COVID season. Exactly. Um, anyway, um, let's talk a little bit about 
the church and how the, the title for today's podcast is um, how has the role of pastor changed? And we might want to even say how has the church changed? Um, and f- not for the better. So we were talking before we got on air that, you know, in some countries where they have underground churches, they're growing because of persecution oftentimes. But in America, we can hardly relate to that. But here we are in our comfort in our big buildings, and in our plans and programs. And, boy, it's so easy to get sidetracked from the gospel, from Acts 2.42, from the early church and how it was founded. I know you have a lot of thoughts on that, but let's just start down this road, Eric. Absolutely. And then we'll, we'll talk about your book a little bit, Feral Christian. By yeah. the way, it's a brand-new book. We do have the link on our website, q 90 I'm sorry, uh, standitforthetruth.com, and it is on Amazon. Go ahead. Absolutely. Well, I think... Uh, one of the biggest things that's, that's changing that I'm realizing is that when you look in the Bible, there's kind of two fights that you, that you have to take on if you're going to be a believer. And the first fight is, is within. It's this, this fight with your flesh. It's overcoming it, crucifying it. And once you get to that point, then there, there is this, this outward fight of just bringing the kingdom of God in, into the earth. And I think, you know, we've we're going to talk about kind of the, the founding of this country and, and the mm-hmm. fact that these people were, were able to outwardly change the world. And I believe very strongly it's because they won the first battle internally. And that is what freed them to take that next step. And I think we are in a season where the, the church in America has stopped wanting to fight the inward battle altogether. The and inward? We, yeah, the, the battle with your flesh, the battle to say, hey, there's, there's the Spirit of God and my flesh that are fighting for control. And if I want to be able to do what I'm called to do, I've got to take that battle very serious, and i got to win that battle. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to um, be able to move outward and do more. Um, and what we have been doing is we've wanted to skip directly to the outward battle. Mm-hmm. And so we look at the outward and we just go, how do I win? And I think that's a very, uh, you know, American thing to do is that in other countries, they do put more of an emphasis on, on who you are inward, the inward growth, kind of those kinds of things. And in America, we tend to overall view things outward first. You know, what, what's the bottom line? What is, uh, what, what's my percentage I'm taking home in this? And so I think one of the issues being a pastor right now is trying to help people understand the, these outward battles, whether it's political, whether it's, it's relational or whatever it is, these are very important battles. But if we have not won the first battle mm. in ourselves, we can't possibly win these. And so it's been hard because you're in this tough spot where you, you have to affirm this is important stuff, but you also have to be like, but I can't, you can't pay attention to that until you do the first work, which mm. is the inward. And, and that's a tough sell because you, you know people are saying, but look at how important this is. And you're like, I know it's important, but if you really think that's important, you have got to take a step back and you've got to tackle this first so that way you're really ready to go do that. Isn't it a constant battle with the flesh, though? I mean, are you ever there? Have we ever arrived? No, because we're always in that struggle as Paul struggled himself, the Apostle Paul. He said, why do, why do I keep on doing things I don't want to do? I hate what I do. But anyway, um, I think of Ephesians 4, um, where the pastor's role and you know the church leaders— is to equip the saints for ministry. Some people want to go out early in their Christian lives. They're all enthusiastic when we become saved or born again. We want to go, you know, do some work for God. And what you said, if you're not ready, if you haven't crucified the flesh, if you haven't been taught about denying yourself, because a lot of, let's face it, uh, I don't know if you've heard a lot of sermons in America, uh, it's all about uh, catering to yourself. It's not denying yourself. That's like, wow, really? The Christian life is about denying. Some people don't even, they've never heard a sermon like that. So we're supposed to be equipping the saints with not only the truth of God's word, but so that they can go out and minister, so that they can have done that internal work and understand it's an ongoing battle. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have written Ephesians 6 
about the armor of God. Why do we need the armor of God? Absolutely, and I think you're right on. We're never going to be finished with that internal battle. But I think what, what a lot of pastors are struggling with is they have congregations who aren't even in that fight. Um, it's kind of like, yeah. you know, I, I've been, I love football. I know that's probably a touchy subject with, with last week, uh, <laughs> you know, but we, we, we got to move past that. But if you look at it, it's like there's the, throughout the week, there, you got you to gotta fight to be ready for Sunday. And so if, if you have players who just want to show up on Sunday, hmm. you're going to lose. And, and I feel like that's what the church is. That's a good analogy, we too, for the church. We just want to show up on Sundays. Yes. Um, and even in this political season, it's like we mm. just want to win the political fight. And it's like in order to win that, you have to be winning your battles in practice throughout mm. the week. And that's what, that's what I that's want to it. call the church, too. Yes. There's a great parallel there. Um, we cannot possibly, if you're a human being, you cannot divorce your faith from your politics. Because if you can, that means that we are supposed to make Jesus Lord. He's Lord anyway, whether we make him Lord or not. He is Lord, and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. But if, we, if he is Lord over every area of our life, how could he not be Lord when we get out of our car and go into the voting booth? He is Lord over that. And some people have an issue with idolatry. They put a party, whether it's Republican or Democrat, they put that above Jesus, the gospel, and the inerrant truth of Scripture, because it's very clear. You know what is taught in the Bible. Biblical morality, we understand the values and the principles that are taught in Scripture. So to go in and vote against them, there's a disconnect there. So Jesus has to be Lord. And I want to get to, we only have three minutes now, but before we have to take our first break, um, Liberty Pastors, this conference I went to a couple months ago, it, I can't say it changed my life, but it sure did give me that jolt that I needed, because I was at a point where I, I was feeling, man, uh, not quite alone, but I was feeling like, boy, I wish there were more men of God that want to lock arms and fight this battle. I don't want to fight. I'd rather be comfortable. I'd rather stay at home or just stay, stay in church and not have to deal with all the garbage in the culture. I wish it was that easy. But we are called to be salt and light. We forgot what that means. Absolutely. So Liberty Pastors, it's, it's about reclaiming America for Christ not taking control and forcing people to believe in Jesus. Come on. We're not talking about a theocracy here. They, they never intended that, our founders, and we don't want that. Plus, you can't force someone to believe against their will anyway. That's a work of God, whether someone is going to receive him or not. Um, but I went down to this America at the Crossroads. It was a 911 call to all Christians and patriots. But there's a little uh, explanation of why they want to focus on reaching pastors because the pastors aren't really reaching the people effectively. Otherwise, America would look much different. So why pastors? And this says, as pastors, we are not called to be church builders, acting as CEOs, competing with the church down the block. We are called to proclaim the truth of, salva of salvation in Jesus Christ alone, to a lost world and equip the saints for the work of ministry. The great revival that history calls the Great Awakening was the event that unified America to become one nation under God. Colonists realized that it was not church membership, but a personal relationship with Jesus that made you a Christian. So the king of England in the early days willfully placed himself above the law as he unilaterally broke the charters that were in place between the colonies in America and Great Britain. The king rejected the authority of elected offices in America and placed his own hand-picked governors over the colonists. Well, that required a little battle. Uh, it was the patriot pastors at that time that were the backbone that helped fight for the freedom of this nation. And some call it the Black Regiment, also known as the Black Robed Regiment. We'll talk a little bit about that in a man named Peter Muhlenberg in our next segment. But really what became the cry in America in the light of this persecution was, we'll have no king but Jesus. Oh, God, help us get back to that place. We have no king but Jesus, no matter who is president, no matter who is trying to make us into a global nation unified with the radical other countries and communist dictators. We have no king but Jesus. So we're going to talk about the influence of the pulpit and why America needs you, whether you're a pastor or not. 
More with Eric Jackson on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Were these men of God throughout history being too political? 1450 BC, Moses petitioned Pharaoh for the liberty of God's people, even calling down consequences when the king failed to comply. 870 BC, Elijah, in the name of the Lord, he challenged King Ahab and his advisors for their ungodly policies and practices. 29 AD, should John the Baptist have kept quiet rather than confronting King Herod about his immoral lifestyle, even though it cost him his ministry and even his life? 30 AD, when Pilate said to Jesus, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Was Jesus too political when he replied, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above? 31 AD, were Peter and John getting political when they publicly refused to comply with the governing authorities who told them not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus? 54 AD, the Apostle Paul preached the gospel in Ephesus in such a way that it totally disrupted both business and politics in the region. 1775, in early America, would you have joined Pastor Jonas Clark in Lexington, Massachusetts, when he led his church and community to form a militia and face the British in the War for Independence? 1830. Be holy as God is holy. How political was Second Great Awakening preacher Charles Finney when he passionately called for an end to slavery from the pulpit? 1954, was separation of church and state being honored when Dr. George McPherson Dougherty preached a sermon that convinced President Eisenhower to include under God in our Pledge of Allegiance? 1963, I have a dream. What about the civil disobedience of Baptist minister, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who led civil rights marches, giving his life for the cause? Were all of these men of God being too political or were they just being biblical? Well, the answer, biblical. And you know that, and there's a reason we play that. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here because probably 85% of our audience, Eric Jackson, uh, believes that Christians must engage with culture and be an influence. Otherwise, someone's going to influence America. And if you think about what has happened now since the church stepped out 50 to 75 years ago, um, look at our public education system. It was never meant to be the way it is today, uh, with Christianity expelled. Look at the entertainment industry in Hollywood. Um, Christians should be in that, you know, but I, God help them who are now. God help the 2% of Christians. <laughs> I just threw that number out there. Uh, think about our political, you know, government, whether you're Republican or Democrat. I would say most uh, men and women who represent us in different states are not Christians. That wasn't, it wasn't supposed to be like that. No, Christians were supposed to be leaders in America. Think about the university system. Think about what we watch on television. Think about social media. Um, so it wasn't supposed to be this way. Neither was the church, as you mentioned earlier. Um, we've gotten comfortable, and now I think our backs are up, are, are up against the wall. Um, before we get to, uh, I want to ask you a little bit about your book and, and that uh, idea of fences. I think that's a, a pretty good story. But I want to give out these DVDs, friends. Um, uh, it's called Trump 2024, The World After Trump, with contributors such as Mike Huckabee, Franklin Graham, Alveda King, Mike Lindell, Dennis Prager, um, who else? Randall Terry, Don Stewart, Tony Perkins, who you just heard his voice, Jack Hibbs, he's on here, uh, Pastor Harry Jackson. Brigitte Gabriel. Okay, this is a DVD that addresses the aggressive movement toward globalism that's coming against America to transform the country to basically a socialist nation that will bow down to the UN. They want to seek to strip away our freedoms, the teachings of the Judeo-Christian principles and values that we were founded upon. That's what's in the way. Do you understand? Christians are in the way. Who else is in the way of this massive movement? They want to reset the world system. They want to reset. They, they're talking about reimagining government in America, right? What does that mean? That means moving towards socialism, moving away from our Constitution. So 
Uh, they want to get away from this. They don't want to preserve the sovereignty of we the people. Well, President Trump does um, a lot. Most Republicans do. I don't want to say all because uh, and there are some Democrats that do. But they've got to. There's got to be exodus of the Democrat Party in order for that to happen, and that's never going to happen. So we'll have a two-party system. They'll put idolatry over their faith, and that's just the way it is. So I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven left. I gave away five yesterday. So seven more, make it an even dozen, and seven more people. If you will email me the first seven that come into my inbox at comments at standupforthetruth.com, comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. I'll set aside one of these DVDs for you to come in and pick up. Eric Jackson, Feral Christian is the book. Um, I like your approach. It's a very easy read. It's my, the, my writing is very researched and technical. I had so many facts and different points crammed in. Yours is like, oh, okay, I see that analogy, and you explain it. You use a story from your life. Talk about fences and maybe even fireplaces. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, how much time do you have? Because, I mean, that's that's the beautiful thing is that um, for me, it is God has always made me live through anything I'm going to speak. And I think that even goes mm. back to connect with with the current politics. And just to touch on that real quick, I, I think that in order for any of us to allow God to have us have uh, an impact and influence, we got to feel it in our life first. Mm. And that's actually in, in the idea of the fireplace you know, I had talked about the idea that, that some of those really big, thick logs, um, they are not going to burn until you've, you've let that fire burn for a while and you've got some coals. And for, for me in my life, every time that I've had something that I feel like I need to speak, um, I have, if I've tried to speak it right away, uh, no one listens. Nobody cares. Hmm. And if I've allowed myself to feel the heat of it, to, to walk through it, um, and then on the other side, been willing to share it, then all of a sudden it seems like people are willing to hear it. And I hmm. think that that's where Christianity is at right now. I think one of the biggest frustrations that, that most Christians have is that is not that you know, that there's a political tension because there's always been. It's that people have stopped listening to what we have to say. People have stopped caring what we have to say. And there's a reason for that. That doesn't happen just by chance. And so this whole book for me, um, the reason that I've been able to share a personal story for pretty much everything is because I've walked through the the heat of pretty much all of that. And I'm still still doing that. And, And so this idea of fences uh, the reason I wanted to write this book was what I noticed in my life, and then I, I started seeing it in a lot of other people, is that even though as Christians we're supposed to be free, uh, most Christians, if they're being honest, would say they don't feel free. They feel incredibly fenced in. They mm, feel incredibly yes. limited. Um, and that's because our definition of what a good Christian is, is uh, the people who can stay within their little fenced-in area the best. Those are the best Christians. And when you compare that to the biblical definition of what an actual disciple would be, it's not only not close, it's the exact opposite. Did you just use the D word? I did. Disciple? I did. I did. I'm stealing that from Francis Chan. Uh, <laughs> he's kind of the first one that really wanted to go back to differentiate that, you know, what we say as Christian um, really doesn't line up with the Bible at all. And so let's come up with a different word so that we force people to actually look at it. And so as I was walking through this in my own life, I just started asking the question of what do you do when what God is calling you to do? Specifically, if you look in the Old Testament, the people of God were called to possess land. Go take land. There's someone else who has this land. I want it for my kingdom. So go fight, win, possess it. And we're still called to do that. It's just on a spiritual level, and and it's it's. Well, we're supposed you know, to occupy yes the land until Jesus returns, so to speak. The exactly, land. exactly. It's and, a, it's, and it says, "Don't give the devil a foothold." That word is topos, topography. Yes. Don't give the devil any ground. Go ahead. Yes, and so that was the the whole question for me that I, I asked myself. Um, that I realized other people were asking themselves was, "What do you do?" when the land that God is calling you to possess is on the other side of a fence. What do you do? And what do you do when that fence was built by the church? That's a really tough spot 
to be. Ooh, wow. And that's a tough battle to fight. Yes. Is because you want to be a good Christian. Every, and most people do. Most people don't want to be rebels just because they like to frustrate their leaders or because they like some people do. And maybe I got a little bit, maybe I got a little bit of that in me. But <laughs> overall, I mean, my battle and, and the tension was I wanted to be a good Christian. I wanted to do it of course, well. Of course. But I was so frustrated and restless because what the land I was called to possess was on the other side of these fences that the church had put up. Mm. And it was an incredibly difficult spot to be in. And it makes you feel very alone. And it makes you feel broken as a Christian. That's interesting. And I, the more I talk to people, the more I realize this was, you know, we talk about an epidemic. This is an epidemic in the church. And what I realize is there's a lot of people living on the outskirts of the church for this exact reason, because they feel like there's something wrong with them hmm. because what what they're being called to do what that fire in them is telling them to do requires them to mess up these tidy little things that the church has built in their life and it's hard to know how to how to walk through that and that's this book to me was was they, they say write the book that you needed when you were younger and that's what this was this was the book well, I, that I needed I've got to do that Yes, that, that's a, it's a good idea because you'll find passion. And that was my heart is can I write some kind of roadmap hmm. for the person who is at that spot, who's struggling because they know they're called to possess land, but they don't feel free to do it because of what's been built in their yeah. life. We have built, not we, you and I in, in this generation, necessarily we in America, the church has built this kingdom, almost like a corporate kingdom where the pastor is a CEO. That's one way the role of a pastor changed. How does how has America done it since the 1970s? Because that's when Dr. Robert Schuler, who was the creator of the Crystal Cathedral in Garden Grove, California, he, before he opened up that church, he went door to door in Orange County, California, Garden Grove area, asking people, the world, what they wanted in a church. What, what, if, what kind of church would you go to? What would you want in a church? And that's how the seeker-sensitive movement took shape. Absolutely. He gave the world what it wanted, yep. and the church became more like the world to try to reach the world. The intentions might have been good. Really. Oh, I yeah. mean, good. I want to reach the world for Christ. Yep. But methodology has always been our stumbling block. Hey, in your book, Feral Christian— at the end of the chapter, speaking of blocks, salt block. At the end of the chapter, salt block, Eric Jackson, you write this about uh, feral Christians of the New Testament church. They were unapologetically countercultural, and they had full confidence in the sufficiency of the gospel. They believed God had power to transform lives, allowing believers to actually become more like Christ. And then, obviously, we haven't been able to do that recently, or not. we haven't been doing a great job of it. And then you just simply ask the question to end the chapter, but what do we do about it? I want to pick up on that, that parallel of what, how we have changed, the church has changed, and the role of pastor has changed. And I want to tell you guys a story about Pastor Peter Muhlenberg, Patriot. The year was 1776. It was early Sunday morning in the church where Pastor Muhlenberg preached. It was a regular service for his congregation, but a quite, a, quite a different affair for Muhlenberg himself. His text for the day was Ecclesiastes chapter 3, which is what we started off this podcast reading. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck what was planted, and it goes on time for war, a time for peace. Coming to the end of his sermon, Peter Muhlenberg turned to his congregation and said, In the language of the Holy Writ, there was a time for all things, a time to preach and a time to pray, but those times have passed away. As those assembled looked on his congregation, right, Pastor Muhlenberg declared, There, there is a time to fight, and that time has now come. Muhlenberg then proceeded to remove his black robe, revealing to the shock of the congregation underneath he had a military uniform. This 
was a pastor in 1776. Many of them died on the battlefield fighting for the freedoms we have today. Marching to the back of his church, he declared, Who among you is with me? On that day, 300 men from his church stood up and joined Pastor Peter Muhlenberg. They eventually became the 8th Virginia Brigade fighting for liberty. Frederick Muhlenberg, Peter's brother, was against Peter's level of involvement in the war. Peter responded to Frederick, writing, quote, I am a clergyman, it is true, but I'm a member of the society as well as the poorest layman, and my liberty is as dear to me as any man. Shall I then sit still and enjoy myself at home when the best blood of the continent is spilling? So far am I from thinking that I act wrong. I am convinced that it is my duty to do so, and duty I owe to God and my country. And by the way, uh, Eric, we talked about this before we got on the air. If any of you have seen the movie The Patriot starring Mel Gibson, that scene where the pastor preached the sermon and then took off his black robe and had his uniform on and grabbed his gun and said, who's with me? That is the true story of Pastor Peter Muhlenberg. A little bit more on him. During the war, there were rumors that the British wanted to hang Peter's father, Henry Muhlenberg, and Henry, his father, wrote this. Toward evening came a report that they were nearby and going to take me. I cannot flee, much less leave my sick wife behind, so I must await whatever God's holy providence and governance has ordained for me, and I commit it to him, the Lord of hosts. Well, the British never came, fortunately, for Henry Muhlenberg. Peter Muhlenberg was a great soldier, pastor. He became major general under commander-in-chief George Washington. Baron Steuben, in general orders, requested, quote, General Muhlenberg to accept his very particular thanks for his gallantry and good dispatches. Because of his actions, Pastor Muhlenberg was given command of 1,000 light infantry. Muhlenberg finished the war strong and he is actually portrayed today in a painting displayed in the United States Capitol Rotunda of the surrender of the British at Yorktown. Pastor and soldier of Christ and country, Peter Muhlenberg. We've got Eric Jackson in studio. We'll talk a little bit more about his book, Feral Christian, when we come back. And also talk about how the church and the role of pastor has changed. And we'll hear from another pastor who preaches, quote, election sermons. <gasps> Uh-oh. When we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. If, as Christians, somehow you believe the lie that faith and politics don't mix, that pastors should stay out of that, it's just too divisive, then by your apathy and your reluctance, you are actually helping to advance the doctrine and dogma of other world religions and of secular humanism to influence this nation rather than the values and virtues of Christianity. That's what's happening. Wake up. They're not asleep. Why are Christians asleep today when it comes to this? Now, the fact is that only in recent times, have pastors kowtowed to political correctness and remained silent or indifferent about faith and politics, but it wasn't always so. A brief little history lesson. Dating back to the time of the American colonies and in subsequent years, pastors boldly spoke out about the social issues of the day and they called out the political candidates who were running for office. Every year, Pastors would deliver what they would call election sermons, the kind of thing I'm doing today, only I do it every four years. They used to do it every year. For the first couple hundred years of American history, pastors would preach election sermons. And I only get to bring these books out every four years when I do an election sermon, but I have two volumes here of political sermons of the American founding era 
from 1730 to 1805. These are published sermons of what pastors used to do, how they used to get up in their pulpits and talk to people in their congregation about the social issues and call out the politicians. Why? The reason is because they wanted their folks to be biblically literate so that people could make an intelligent decision based on their sanctified conscience about the social issues and the political candidates and how they either did or did not align with the Bible which is the source of all truth. God has been at the center of our religious freedom, and faith and politics have been intertwined from the very beginning. That was an amazing, the whole sermon was great. I encourage you to watch it. It's Pastor Gary Hamrick. He's a pastor in Virginia, and it's on YouTube. I'll put that link in today's podcast at standupforthetruth.com. But you can find it on YouTube called Church in America, Wake Up. And it's based on Jeremiah 6, 16 through 19. And about a month ago, we had a reverend uh, from another from Virginia, Bill Cook. He was here. I met him in Texas at that conference, America at the Crossroads. And he said this, When I contemplate the unrest and confusion that characterize our culture today, it is my considered opinion that the political preaching, a revolutionary concept in today's evangelical culture, which inspired a revolution and kept tyranny at bay for more than 250 years, remains the last best hope of our dying republic. In 2016, roughly 40 million evangelicals sat out an election that might have ended religious freedom in America. With fear of coronavirus, potential unrest at polling places, widespread election fraud, and impacting the November 3 election, Millions of Americans and evangelicals might be sitting out again in 2020, and that may seal the deal. He said, the sermon that you just heard a clip of, by the way, is as inspiring than any I have heard. There are two Sundays remaining until November 3rd election, which will determine whether religious liberty in America survives. Please listen to Pastor Gary Hamrick's sermon. And it's called Church in America, Wake Up. We have a young pastor here today, Eric Jackson, and the book is Feral Christian. We're going to give you a chance to win a copy of that book uh, in just a little bit. But Eric, you wanted to talk about Peter Muhlenberg. And if you want to also add any thoughts on what you just heard from Pastor Gary Hamrick on election sermons, um, we've gotten so far out of whack and out of influence of our culture, it's it's crazy. We've got we've got to go back. But your thoughts? Yeah, and I want to give a little bit of a different perspective. Although I'm probably going to differ, I I love that we do have different perspectives because as I read the Bible and I read that there's different body parts, it, we are going to be called to point at different things at different times. And it doesn't mean that anybody's right or wrong. It means that the head of our church thinks bigger than any individual one of us does. So I definitely don't want to disrespect that, but I do want to give the question that I've had, because I think there are people who would view me as one of those pastors who isn't up preaching politics. And here's my perspective, and here's the question I ask people. What are you going to do with the religious freedom that we're fighting for? That's the question right there. What are we doing with the religious freedom we have? We're so unique here in America. Yes. What are we doing with Well, that? And, and to me, it's, it's kind of like when you're a pastor, you get you know, I, I get a half hour a week to preach. And I, I kind of view it as like a budget. You only have so much money. And I view the church right now as being like, well, I want us to spend all our money on the newest Peloton because I want to get in shape. But the question is, are you going to actually use it? Because when I look at the world, we have the most religious freedom and we have the worst history, at least recently, of actually worshiping God truly and purely. Mm. So for me, it's at what point do you stop spending all of your money on expensive workout equipment when there is no proven track record of using it for anything? And so for me, not that I don't think politics are important because I think they, they are, but why would we fight? You know, I look at, at this amazing pastor, Peter, and if, if I would be in that spot where I look at the church and say, hey, if we get more religious freedom, we're going to change the world. You bet I'm going to fight. But if I go, hey, 
we're going to fight for religious freedom so that we don't have to change or grow, so that we can still have our coffee on Sunday morning and do one fast song, two medium, one slow songs, then no, I'm not going to spend my time on that. That's what it's come to. And that's why I think for there's pastors who say, this isn't a good use of my time, because even if, even if we get the right person elected, we are not going to use this to do what we're supposed to do. So I'm going to use my time to get us to the point. Because here's the thing. I, I've been 300 pounds in my life, and I've been in incredible shape. And what I have found is that it doesn't matter what kind of equipment you have. I've done just push-ups and sit-ups and got in amazing shape, and I've had, inc- I've had $120 gym memberships and been incredibly out of shape. <laughs> and to me, that's where, where I think we're at as the church is. You know, I go back to that, that fight against your flesh. And the way that I view it is if you win that fight, or if at least you are on the winning end of that, no government is going to stop you from worshiping God in an amazing way. Mm. If you lose that fight, no religious freedom is going to get you to worship in a great way. So even though it's important to me, I always take a step back. And, and I, I think that there are going to be different pastors who view it differently, and that's good. We should have that. But I do think it's wrong to condemn pastors who are taking a step back and going, wait a minute, I see a body of Christ that even if we win all this religious freedom is not going to do anything with it. So I want to focus on that. Boy, uh, part of me really agrees with you, but I still have to push back on our responsibility as leaders of a flock. We wouldn't have the freedoms we have today if pastors like Peter Muhlenberg and others didn't fight and didn't encourage their, the men in their congregations to do, to do the same. Now, we're in a different place. They had to fight the war. Right. We don't have to fight that war anymore in right. 1776, but we are fighting a war with a very real enemy. And like you said, the church is backed off. We've gotten so stinking comfortable in the lukewarm church of Laodicea in the United States of Entertainment here in America, particularly the evangelical church, that we are not taking advantage of the religious freedoms we do have. So that really irks me. But... That's still not to say that we shouldn't be talking about what we could lose if we don't vote a certain way. And I think that's a, that's a point that some of these pastors are making. Uh, what I wanted to ask you, though, why just 30 minutes on teaching Scripture? Because where is that in the Bible where Jesus went in and he had a 30-minute before the announcements in the church bulletin and before the worship team had to do two more songs and before we had to close the service? Where is that in Scripture? where we just have some preachers just go for like 20 minutes. I mean, that is a, I think congregations are being ripped off across America. I mean, <laughs> I preach for an hour. Um, I'm, yeah, I can be long-winded, but I've also known over in Africa, we talked about other countries, they go for three, four hours in a service. Elijah Abraham, one of our frequent guests here, he's, he's a teacher and a trainer of pastors. He's a former Muslim. He's in Texas, goes around the world. He goes over to another country, and they skip lunch or they bring lunch and they just want to keep going, they'll go from 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. till 4 or 5 in the afternoon or until dusk in a church service. So what are we doing in America? So maybe there's a challenge for you, Eric, to evaluate, hmm, I am the pastor. You're the lead pastor, right? Yep, yep. Why do I limit myself to 30 minutes? Sure. Is it because we're thinking uh, people just have that attention span or they want to watch the Packer game? Seriously, football has become an idol. That G is not God over Lambeau Field. It means Green Bay. It's a city in the country. But we've made it an... All right, I won't even go down that road. Um, Yeah, and the NFL is celebrating uh, LGBT History Month. Um, We talked about that yesterday. (laughs) You missed it. So getting back to Peter Muhlenberg, um, we cannot all be men of God like that. I mean, that, that was a unique time in our history. And if you watch The Patriot, you know the guy, after he preached the sermon, took off his black robe and grabbed his gun and said, who's with me? And we, it seems to us like fiction. It seems like, wow, that's a fun story. The guy you're showing this pastor as being this bold man of God and a leader of his congregation, leading his men to war. Shouldn't we as pastors and leaders in the church, ministry leaders, be leading the congregations not only after we've equipped them, Shouldn't we be leading them to fight this, this enemy that, that hates our guts, that hates Christianity, that hates America? Anyway, I've been so passionate about this in the last month or two. Eric, thank you for putting up with my rant. You're the guest today, and I'm on this. Let me get off my box. 
Um, can we? You brought a bunch of books with you, right? Yeah. Would you like to give away like five of them? I would love to do that. Okay. Now, no double dipping. <clears throat> if you already won the Trump DVD, do not email me for a copy of Feral Christian by Eric Jackson. By the way, we're hoping and praying that Lighthouse Books will carry it. Um, we hope they will. Yeah. But uh, um, if you want to email me f- for a free copy of this, it's a very small, very easy to read book by Pastor Eric Jackson, who's in the studio here. Comments at standupforthetruth.com. Comments at standupforthetruth.com. Email me and you'll get a free copy. So Eric Jackson's book, Feral Christian, comments at standupforthetruth.com. Eric, God bless you, brother. Um your closing thoughts. We just got a minute, but thank you for coming in. Oh, I love it. I this is the highlight of of my day for sure. I think just my, your day. Well, maybe maybe two days. I'll give you two days. Um, <laughs> if I can give a quick, uh, my heart in all of this mm. is real quick. The church wins when we allow people to walk out their fire. And and one thing that saddens me, and it, it even you know in, in some of the clip that you played, we have become more about. Uh, shaming other people's fire because it's not the same as ours. And we have to understand that the church wins when everybody gets unleashed Mm -hmm. to do what they are passionate about and trust that if it's different than yours, that's okay. God's given you enough and them something else. That's my heart. Good words, brother. Thank you again. Thank you. Always great to have you in, Eric Jackson. Uh, When we come back, we have our Q drive, our fundraiser next week. So in the middle of the week, we're taking a break, but we do have a guest next Monday and Friday. I just got a new special guest first time on the podcast that we're going to announce in just a minute. Keep it right here on Stand Up For The Truth. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Monday, Jay Siegert of the Starting Point Project will be here as our guest. Good to have him back after several months. And Friday, our first time special guest, Dr. Jake Jacobs. He's got a brand new book out. I mean, brand new as of last week. Mob Rule. In this eye-opening book, respected educator and historian Dr. Jake Jacobs unmasks the Marxist agenda roaming our streets. He shows how ideologies, once considered evil, even murderous, are being quietly ushered into our lives to threaten our freedoms in America. Mob rule, Dr. Jake Jacobs, next Friday, middle of the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we have our fundraiser called Q Drive, because Stand Up For The Truth is hosted by a radio station called Q90FM. If you want to support the ministry, please pray. If you can donate financially, no guilt trip. If you're able to and you like what we do and appreciate the ministry, please consider giving a tax-deductible donation. Go to q90fm.com and uh, market Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for considering. Um, again, next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we will not be doing a podcast. We'll still be on the air here with you, but we won't be doing a podcast for you to download and share. Because of our fundraiser, we're already halfway there, believe it or not. Thank you. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter. <laughs>